0: 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh my goodness! Intensity is not a perfume. Take that home run chain back! 5,
1: 4, 3, 2,
0: 1. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is... The Masson All Access Podcast, Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you behind the desk today, not in front of the couches, which is difficult because I wanted an opportunity to show off my brand new orange and black shoes, Brendan, and white, but uh, robbed of that opportunity. Well, and also just tough
1: because when given the opportunity to be cozy, I would certainly prefer to be
0: cozy. We, We should get a Snuggie, remember those?
1: Oh, that would be excellent. We yeah. had an
0: Orioles branded Snuggie. Just, just cozy. That's got to be a thing somewhere. Oh, I'm sure it is. There are yeah. Orioles blankets that
1: we have, so we right. could, uh,
0: we're going to get cozy. Well, if you've
1: got yourself a blanket, you're just, what, two steps away from a Snuggie? From a Snuggie. All you yeah. need is the sleeves. Do you have sleeves in the Snuggie? I think, yeah, I that, think that's you the whole thing. I don't You've got own the sleeves any. and the hood and the... Yeah. So maybe more than two steps. You right. probably have to look up a video on how to turn a blanket into, into a Snuggie. It would take some... Right. Some needle. You got to find some scissors or, or something. Yeah, exactly. Get that snuggy, ready to go.
0: Brendan, it's time for a
1: softball update. <laughs> oh,
0: it is. It's what uh, the people have been missing. You played in your very first game last time. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I played as well. Uh, tough game for the team. Got mercy ruled. Yeah. Um, Lost by about 13. It was. Yeah, it was lost by 12? Lost by 12. It was 13 to 1. We did not get shut out. No. We scored a run in our final frame. And uh, you and I combined for about five hours. Yeah, um, it wasn't a good showing not, for me. Not a great showing from either of us. Uh, however, I did make an appearance on the mound, Brendan. Yep. Usually we have one steady pitcher, but I came in to this game. You were the Stevie Wilkerson of the <laughs> team. <laughs> yeah. It's, for those who, who don't, uh, don't get that reference, go back and watch that Angels game. Hopefully wow. you... Am I old? For those who don't get that reference? reference? Exactly. I don't know. It long was, ago. It feels like it was long ago. It, no. was, it was pre-2020, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 2019, wow. Stevie Wilkerson in LA. Um, I came in. I had not pitched in softball before, Brendan. And boy, was it evident. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you were wild. One, it was a windy day. Can we give me that? No. Okay. Uh, I was I was effectively wild, though. Um, because that was the only frame in which we did not allow a run.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. Our, our other pitcher, friend of the podcast, Connor Newcomb, he was a little too good. I mean, he was just throwing up meatballs. Yeah. And the other team was just hammering pitches down the middle, whereas you were nowhere close to the plate. No. And and people were kind of swinging at junk. Yeah. And so they weren't making as good a contact,
0: and it worked out for us. It worked out. Uh, I walked the first batter. I don't think I can be used in for multiple innings at Certainly a time. Certainly not. Because I think people will get on and understand the idea that uh, – you know, I am not going to be able to no. uh, keep it in the strike zone consistently enough. So I'm going to be walking a lot of guys, and then they'll just take their walks after yeah. a while. But if it if I just come in for one inning, they're going to get probably frustrated and start to swing at some junk.
1: Right. Like I, I also want to shout out our producer, Matt Bonaparte, for a hilarious lower third of Paul Mancano, zero ERA. I mean, that's Gives what no have. context to where that ERA is. It, it's in rec softball rather than...
0: You know, on the mound at Oriole Park at Camden I mean, Yards, but
1: it's all, it counts all the same. Don't all
0: of us really have a 0.0 ERA at Camden Yards? I've never given up a home run at Camden Yards. Well, that's, that opens up a whole other can of worms. It because does.
1: Ben McDonald has been known to say at the beginning of the season, if a pitcher hasn't appeared yet, that they do not have
0: an ERA. Well, if they haven't appeared yet, yeah, they probably, they no, don't have. That, that's like a common. That's like a, making a fraction where the bottom is zero. So that's an irrational number. Right. You don't have an ERA at that. Point. Right. Because you don't have any innings pitched. But if you so then you one inning.
1: So then you wouldn't be able to say that we all have an ERA of zero because a majority of us would had have
0: just not have an ERA. Exactly. Yeah. It would just be an irrational i. Isn't that what that's called? I'm not a math guy. Yeah. Not a math podcast. All right, Brendan. On this podcast, we're going to be discussing uh, guys that uh, don't have an ERA of zero. No. But that's okay. Except for Yenny or Canal, I'll tell you, Mike Bauman's awfully close to zero. Less than one. All right, let's talk about uh, kind of what we've seen from the Orioles through the first three weeks of the season. We've seen some good. We've seen some iffy, especially when it comes to the starting pitching. Let's start with the good. Let's start talking about this offense that has put itself near the top of the league in a lot of offensive categories. They're currently second in all of baseball behind the Tampa Bay Rays and on base percentage. Haven't really, I think they were 22nd last year in OBP. Adley Rutschman is helping, but you've got other guys who are drawing more walks. They're eighth in the league in homers, I think sixth in the league in runs. This offense right now, Brendan, is humming.
1: Yeah, it's been excellent. And it starts with Adley Rutschman, as you mentioned, a 323 batting average, a 457 on base percentage. I think there's a legitimate case to be made right now that Adley Rutschman is the best catcher in baseball. Yeah, it's it,
0: We talked about an all-star appearance before the season. I mean, he's putting himself into... He got MVP MVP votes last year. I know we're three weeks in. Yeah. But I mean, my gosh, he's on an MVP
1: trajectory. Yeah, and he is already a top five defensive catcher in baseball. We knew that coming into the season. And last year, he was still excellent offensively. But he wasn't fifty seven on base percentage excellent offensively. We've seen him mash from the right side of the plate now as a right-handed hitter, which is something that we didn't really see last year. We talked with Matt Borgschulte a week ago who said that Adley's right-handed swing might be even better than his left-handed swing, which is something we didn't even really see last year, but we're starting to see it this year. A 179 OPS plus for Adley Rutschman, which means he is, based on the average, OPS plus of 100 would be a league average, so 79 would be a 79% better
0: than the league average. So he has been unbelievable so far. Yeah, and it's not just Adley. It's Jorge Mateo who is in the midst of a great start to the season. He's hitting .370 with three homers Ooh. and his OPS is right around 100 or 1000, doing exactly what he needs to do. I think you could say to to hold on to this role of the starting shortstop because there are guys that we've said before are nipping at his heels. We saw how close Jorge or sorry, Joey Ortiz got to getting the call up when Ramon Rios was hit in the head by that pitch. Right. These guys are right there, and you're kind of reminded of how close they are when something like that happens and somebody gets injured. Jorge Mateo needs to keep producing offensively. His defense won't just be enough to keep him as entrenched as the starting shortstop. So he's doing exactly what you need him to do. Yeah, in a couple of podcasts before we got into the season,
1: I think you and I both agreed that Jorge Mateo was kind of on the hot seat. Just with the nature of the Orioles system right now, with Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz both putting up excellent numbers in AAA Norfolk, if Jorge Mateo was going to continue to kind of be a black hole in the Orioles lineup, you couldn't really justify keeping him there if you had Westberg and Ortiz that could give you probably not the same value defensively, but better value on offense. And Jorge Mateo, right now, as you mentioned, he doesn't need to hit 370 no. for the entire year. His average could drop a hundred points, and it probably will. But if Jorge Mateo maintains a 270 average, if the on-base percentage is up towards 350 for the entire year, if the OPS is closer to 750 and not the what 650 that it was last season, yeah, Jorge Mateo can lock down this spot probably what until Jackson Holiday gets to the bigs I mean at least that's
0: yeah I mean that's probably looking pretty far down the road but right. it's it's a possibility yeah certainly uh and then you look at somebody who else who came into this year with not a, a ton of pressure not a ton of competition right behind him but somebody who I think there you could say was a healthy amount of pressure to succeed this year and that's Austin Hayes yeah we talked last week with Matt Borg Schulte the Orioles co-hitting coach about the work that Hayes put in into the off season. Look, we saw a great start last year from Austin Hayes, and so far he's hitting 344. He needs to maintain that throughout the entire course of the year because you have Colton Cowser, Heston Kerstad down in AA, who we're going to talk about later on this podcast. I don't think Cowser, just because he's hitting two ninety three now, is going to come up and all of a sudden take somebody's spot. But I think Austin Hayes had something to prove this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was to prove that he can be consistently uh, productive. And not just
1: Colton Cowser, but you also had Kyle Stowers on this yeah. roster to start the year, who played well enough at the big leagues last year to maybe at least garner consideration for more playing time at the big league level this season. And Austin Hayes has just done nothing but hit. I mean, it is consistent, hard contact out of Austin Hayes. And if you look at his stat cast numbers, it's a lot of red. 94th percentile in barrel percentage. 94th percentile in expected batting average, 96th percentile in expected slugging percentage. The dude is absolutely mashing right now. And yeah. it is hard to be a right-handed hitter at Camden Yards right now, but he still has gap power. We've seen him been robbed of a few home runs here, but he has gap power. He is hitting balls hard to every
0: part of the field. Really encouraging from Austin Hayes. Yeah, and let's hope that that it continues. And you, you look at the successes of guys like Jorge Mateo, Adley Rutschman, Austin Hayes, and it helps overshadow in a good way the struggles of particularly Gunnar Henderson and Anthony Santander. Yeah. Gunnar Henderson is pretty much every at-bat now, either walking or striking out. And it's to be expected. He's 21 years old. Remember, he was down in high eight last year. Or sorry, he started the season in double A last year. Yes, he is the number one prospect in baseball, but some struggles to start the year are to be expected. And I don't I don't think either of us expected Gunnar Henderson to come out of the gates on fire. It was a possibility, but this kind of learning curve is mitigated by the fact that they have other guys in the lineup that are hitting as well as they are. And it takes pressure off of Gunner so that he's not being asked after games why he's not hitting. Reporters are going to other lockers. They're going to the lockers of the guys who are hitting after the Orioles score eight to 10 runs a night. And there's less pressure on a rookie like Gunnar Henderson, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, and I will say, to Gunnar Henderson's credit as well, he
1: and Anthony Santander are tied for the team lead in strikeouts right now with 22 apiece. Anthony Santander has walked seven times, which is honestly not bad for Anthony Santander in 15 games, given the plate discipline that we had seen from him in the past. But Gunnar Henderson has walked 14 times. Yeah, And for somebody who is only hitting 167... To still have a 365 on base percentage, it's still pretty solid. It is. And you need to see Gunnar Henderson be more aggressive. You know, we've heard it countless times on the broadcast. Ben McDonald has talked about it a lot. Gunnar Henderson needs to swing at pitches in the zone, which he isn't really doing. You love that the swing decisions have been hammered home with Gunnar Henderson, and he is only swinging at pitches that he feels like he can do damage with. He's got to swing at a few more because he is leaving some pitches in the strike zone that he could probably do damage with. You like him being selective, but you don't want to completely take away his aggressiveness, which is kind of what has happened so far for Gunnar.
0: Yeah, you don't want to repeat situation of, do you remember back in 2020 when DJ Stewart started the year? Got some throwbacks today. Yeah. Stevie Wilkerson, DJ Stewart. The, uh, 0 for Hopefully people aren't too young for that reference. for 16 to start the 2020 season, but he was walking a ton. He walked nine times. In his first 10 games. And he so he had a high on-base percentage. He had an eight, 385 on-base percentage without having a hit. Yeah. That's just not going to be good enough. Like, no. it's, it's cool. It's funny. It's a weird fact. But he does have to, at some point, drive the ball. And I think we are starting to see him drive the ball and get a little bit unlucky so far. Yeah. He's hit the ball hard. I think in Chicago, he hit several balls hard that just found gloves. So I, I do expect that to turn around. Um, and Adam Frazier said... A couple weeks ago on an article on madisonsports.com, he's expecting him to turn around. I think people and the team are not worried about Gunnar Henderson right now, and fans shouldn't be either. No, I, I'm not worried about
1: Gunnar Henderson. The The thing that is tough right now with, with Gunnar as well, though, is that it seems to be bleeding into his defense a little right. bit. He's got four errors right now. He's probably frustrated, pressing a little bit at the plate. And it seems like it might be on his mind a little bit when he is playing defense because he has not been close to as solid defensively as he was last year. And if he's not hitting and he's not solid defensively, Brandon Hyde might need to give him a few more days off here and there, especially given the dearth of infielders that you have at the big league level right now. And just to back up what I was saying before with the swing percentages here, last year, Gunnar Henderson swung at 62% of balls in the strike zone. He's currently at 48 and a half percent,
0: which is a drastic difference. Yeah. So he's got to swing at strikes. Yeah, absolutely. And Anthony Santander, meanwhile, uh, hit his first home run of the season on the road trip. The home runs are going to come for Anthony Santander and somebody who I think has less pressure behind him than somebody like Austin Hayes. But that being said, he's got two years under contract this year and next year. And I don't want to read too much into three weeks of sample size. But this is another guy that I do think long-term, if he proves to just be kind of streaky, just be a little bit more of a question mark on offense than he was last year, that's a spot that I think you could look down the road and say that might be Heston that spot. Yeah, absolutely. Especially considering the fact that Anthony Santander
1: is not great defensively in right field. We've yeah. seen it pretty consistently late in games. We saw it last night. Brandon Hyde opted to put Ryan McKenna in right field in the eighth inning as a defensive replacement for Anthony Santander once he was out of the lineup. So if he's not going to play great defense, if he's going to consistently be your DH, then you need to see good production offensively from Anthony Santander. This is nothing against Adam Frazier. Adam Frazier is not a power hitter. No. Anthony Santander can't have a worse slugging percentage than Adam Frazier. That just can't happen. (laughs) It's not going to happen for the rest of the season. But Anthony Santander... Only has one home run, which matches Adam Frazier.
0: That can't happen. Right. And you give credit to Adam Frazier.
1: Yeah, Because Adam Frazier
0: is exactly what the Orioles hoped he would be. Yeah, Adam Frazier has
1: been playing some really solid baseball. He's been great defensively at second. The OPS hovering around 700. Kind of what
0: we expected from Adam Frazier. And all the people that disparaged the signing... I just don't hear him anymore, Brendan. No, me neither. They've just kind of disappeared off my Frazier timeline. Frazier has cooled off a little bit. He has, I yeah. will say. But, but he has still been very solid. He's been better than he was last year, which is what we said. He yep. was going to regress positively this year. And he's playing solid defense at second base. I think he's been exactly what they could have asked for. And people right. who said, Taron Vavra, you wouldn't notice any drop-off between Frazier and Vavra, you notice the drop-off yeah. between those two players. Very much so. Um, all right, let's talk about that's the good, the great. The offense. Let's talk about some struggling players right now, and especially in this bullpen right now. Yeah. And the conversation has to start with Austin Voth. Now, Voth did record his first scoreless outing of the season Sunday in Chicago. Prior to that, though, he had allowed eight earned runs in eight innings, including five homers. He was consistently being hit hard. He was consistently not getting enough outs. And... A lot of games that were close, he entered, and they were no longer close.
1: Yeah, as uh, as Jake Mintz, friend of the pod, said on Cespedes' family Cast, said the Orioles are a bit too exciting right, right now. It's called the baseball barbacast? Baseball cast, Please. The Orioles are a bit too exciting right now, which is a really good way to put it, because the offense is really fun, but right now they're up like five runs, and you're just like, Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Because the bullpen hasn't been good enough to maintain those leads, we saw the bullpen last year. Felt like if the Orioles were up by two runs, that game was out of reach because you could get to the seventh, eighth, ninth innings with Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, Felix Bautista, and the game was over. But right now, you're not able to hand it off to usually reliable relievers like Austin Voth. He's got an ERA of eight. That's not good. Yeah. He's got a whip of close to 1700. That's not good. We need to see Austin Voth
0: become closer to the Austin vote that we saw last year. And the question is, if he doesn't, what are the Orioles' options? Because he is out of options. Yeah. He has no more options, so if you are were to get rid of him, you would have to put him on waivers, risk losing him. Is that something that you want to see if he continues to struggle? Is that something that he has already put himself in danger of? I think he's on
1: the hot seat right now. I don't know if he is going to get DFA'd in the next you know, week or so or something like that. But I think Austin Voth is definitely on the hot seat. There are enough quality pitchers at AAA Norfolk right now that could fill a similar role to Austin Voth. And you are playing winning baseball right now. You are playing the kind of baseball where you are hoping to make the playoffs. We already saw it with Cole Irvin, where the Orioles have probably a much, much shorter leash than we were expecting coming into the year. Right. If Austin Voth continues to not perform... What's stopping the Orioles from calling up Spencer Watkins, who can play a very similar role as a long reliever out of the bullpen? We've yeah. already seen Mike Bauman do it more effectively than Austin Voth so far this year. D.L. Hall is in A Norfolk. He could play a similar role in the Orioles' bullpen as well if they wanted to go that route. There's enough different options there that I don't know how many more outings Austin Voth is going to get.
0: I do think they're going to try to keep Hall as a starter. Yeah. And this, you could say, well, this would be a different conversation if... Michael Gibbons and Dylan Tate were healthy right now, but Austin both would have made this bullpen regardless of whether those guys were healthy. Both was going to make this team. They, they The Orioles paid him an arbitration. They were going to have this guy on the opening day roster. So yep. this would still be an issue. Maybe he wouldn't be placed in as many high leverage situations, but if you look at somebody like Logan Gillaspie, who's struggled right now, he's allowed four earned runs in five innings this year, eight hits. That's somebody who probably wouldn't have made this bullpen had Dylan Tate and Michael Gibbons been healthy. So the vote problem is one that would have existed regardless. Keegan Aiken, another guy that I think probably would have made this bullpen, even if those two guys were healthy, but he is struggling. Four earned runs, eight hits in four and a third inning so far this season. He's a lefty, so I think the Orioles had, you know, were predisposed to keep him. But he's another guy that now he has options left, which is great for the Orioles. Mm-hmm. And I think you look at Gillaspie, you look at Aiken... And I'm thinking that once, even maybe even before Dylan Tate and Michael Gibbons' return, you could see the bullpen carousel start to move between AAA Norfolk and Baltimore. Yeah, and it's going to be
1: interesting, too. You know, we'll get to Kyle Bradish in a little bit, who is starting tonight. But right now, the Orioles don't have to worry about a roster move at this exact moment because Keegan Aiken is still on the paternity list, yeah. correct? So whenever Keegan Aiken gets back, they're going to have to make some sort of decision with their pitchers. Right. Whether that's, it, it's probably going to be optioning a bullpen arm. Is it optioning Logan Gillespie, who I believe still has an option left? Is it moving on from Austin Voth relatively quickly into the season? That's going to be a decision the Orioles have to make once
0: Keegan Aiken is off that paternity list. Guys who have cemented themselves into this bullpen right now, Mike Bauman, we mentioned, has yep. been terrific. Danny Coulomb has been great as yep. well. Turned out to be, so far, a great acquisition by the Orioles made right before opening day. Uh, and Felix Bautista. Yeah. Guy's been awesome. Other than that one blown save uh, back in the second game of the season when Ryan McKenna dropped the fly ball, Felix Bautista has picked up right where he left off. Yeah, Felix Bautista back to an ERA just over one. Yeah. And I know it's only been
1: three games. Give some love for Yanny or Cano. Yeah, how about He's been him? awesome so far. Came in in a high leverage situation last night in the eighth inning. Pitched a pretty much flawless inning. Yeah. Nine pitches to get out of the eighth. It's only three games. Don't know what the future is going to hold here for Yenny or Cano, but he's not going to be
0: the roster move, I don't think, for Kyle Bradish. He's
1: gotten a Yara of zero.
0: No, yeah. Can't move on from that guy right now. You start to look at the AAA roster and say maybe, you know, Nick Vespi is an option that the Orioles would want to use. He finally did give up some runs, by the way, in AAA. It's bound to happen eventually. That 0.00 did not have an ERA, but now he does. Uh he sure does. He could be somebody that the Orioles look to in a in a pinch, Joey Crable, I think. But Yenny or Cano, you keep him right now. Yeah. He's got a whip of zero. Love a love a big dude with a high number on the mound. Great stare down, too. Great stare down. Yeah. yeah I, I I love the energy he brings yeah. to that bullpen. He's great. Um all right, so that's the bullpen. We've talked about the offense and the bullpen. Let's talk about the starting pitching, Brendan. And it's gotta start with Cole Irvin. Yeah. who has struggled the most of any of these starters, so much so that he has lost his starting spot as of right now. He allowed 15 earned runs in 12 and two-thirds innings to start the year in those three starts, eight walks, 13 strikeouts, a whip close to two. Brandon Hyde said command was the biggest thing that Cole Irvin needed to work on in AAA. We saw him last night in Norfolk, six innings, seven hits, two earned runs, a walk, only two Ks, it's not expected to be a long stint in AAA, but I don't think he's coming right back after that one AAA start.
1: No, I would agree. I think Cole Irvin is now pretty solidly on the outside looking in of the Orioles' starting five. We're going to talk about Grayson Rodriguez in a little bit, but Tyler Wells has been decent. He's been one of the better starters in this rotation right now. There's not really anybody that you could justify bumping out for Cole Irvin at this point. Unless you see some great things from Cole Irvin in AAA Norfolk, you see the progression that you need to see, I don't think anybody's getting bumped for Irvin anytime soon. And it's really surprising because when we talked about Cole Irvin when the Orioles first made this trade, I think you and I both said, okay, the ceiling might not necessarily be there for Cole Irvin. He's not going to be your number one or number two starter in the rotation going forward, but he's not going to be... The floor isn't going to be what it is now. Yeah. We were pretty sure that he was going to command his pitches. He was going to give you six innings, three or four earned runs. He wasn't going to lose you a ton of games. He was going to be a Kyle Gibson-esque pitcher, where he was going to eat innings, wasn't going to walk a ton of guys, wasn't going to absolutely blow up. And then he blew up because he couldn't command any of his pitches. And it's really surprising out of Cole Irvin, given the walk numbers from last year, the fact that he is a quick worker who can command the zone. He's going to throw strikes. He's going to induce
0: soft contact. That was the book on Cole Irvin. And then he just didn't throw strikes. Right. And that's something that we have seen Kyle Gibson do very effectively. Yeah. Pitch to contact and the Orioles defense. Yes, they've had some lapses, but I think for the most part, the infield defense has been solid behind him. And, He's had great success so far. Cole Irvin just hasn't. Yeah, Kyle Gibson not striking out a ton of guys, but he's getting the
1: ball on the ground. He's letting the defense play behind him. That's all you needed from Cole Irvin. Right. But instead, you know, he's walking close to six batters per nine at the big league level, which is just not something we've
0: seen from him at all throughout his career. It only took three starts for the Orioles to temporarily pull the plug. They could plug it back in on the Cole Irvin starter situation. But uh, you do wonder, Brendan, if... Neither of us thought there was any chance before the season that after just three starts, Cole Irvin would be back in the minors. No. We thought he had a much longer leash than that, and he used it up pretty quickly by struggling as much as he did. But you do wonder if this isn't just a statement to Cole Irvin that he has to get everything figured out before he comes back up, but that the Orioles in general were frustrated with their starting pitchers. Yeah. Until Dean Kramer went out and shoved last night with six and two-thirds scoreless against the Nationals, he was not great to start the season. He had allowed just about as many run runs as innings pitched this year. Kyle Gibson has been very solid. Yes, he did allow four runs in his last start, but he's been pretty good. He wasn't going to lose his spot in this rotation. We'll talk about Grayson in a moment. Bradish, of course, has gotten hurt. Wells has been so-so, pretty good. Yeah. But I think the Orioles were a little bit frustrated. With the performances that they were getting out of their
1: starters. Yeah, as they should have been. I mean, we kind of heard the frustration from Brandon Hyde. You know, he would get asked, what are you looking for out of your starting pitcher tonight? And the answer was just always length. And we talked about the struggles with the bullpen. Not to give the bullpen a pass, because some of the bullpen arms have just flat out not been very good. But that bullpen is getting worked. And they shouldn't have to be worked to the extent that they are right now. Right. We've seen Kyle Gibson go deep into some games. Dean Kramer, his first time going deep into a game was last night. We haven't really seen Tyler Wells do it, even though he did have that really good five inning stretch when he wasn't even starting. Haven't seen Grayson Rodriguez do it. Haven't seen Cole Irvin do it. Obviously haven't seen Kyle Bradish do it because he hasn't had the opportunity to do so. But the starting rotation... And the bullpen are are obviously so closely knit. And the starting rotation is really putting
0: the bullpen in a bad spot. Yeah. It it, has not been great right now. And you saw Dean Kramer very animated last night. Yeah. Reacting to some strikeouts. And I think maybe he was feeling a little bit of pressure. I think,
1: at least my impression from watching Dean Kramer last night, I came away from that start going, he pitched like somebody... Who thought his job was on the line. Right. Because he saw the hook come out pretty quickly for Cole Irvin. And Dean Kramer's numbers weren't much better. No. Until last night. So I think Dean Kramer pitched like somebody who thought, okay, if
0: I don't shove tonight, like this could be one of my last starts in the rotation for a little while. Yeah. He's got an option remaining. We haven't seen him used as a reliever. So the Orioles would probably just send him right back down to AAA Norfolk. Yeah. Should the struggles continue. Let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez and what we've seen from him through three starts, Brendan. The first innings, not so good. Not good at all. The rest of the outings, pretty good. Yeah. He's walked the leadoff batter in each of his first three starts. He has allowed seven earned runs, including two homers on six hits and four walks in his first innings. So that's three first innings in which he's allowed seven earned runs. The rest of the way, all of the other innings combined... He's allowed one earned run, three combined walks, and zero extra base hits. Yeah. Just has to cut out those nasty first innings, Brendan. I don't know how you do it, but you just got to snip them off. Yeah. Can they start games in the second inning? Hopefully. I mean,
1: as you said, I don't think a 691 ERA for Grayson Rodriguez is really indicative of how well he has pitched. Because I still come away from his starts feeling like he pitched pretty well. Well, because he ends them so well. Right. <laughs> A- as you mentioned, he's allowed 11 earned runs total. Seven of them have come in the first inning. Second, third, and fourth innings, he is allowed just the combined one earned run. Yeah. So he needs to just come out of the... I don't know what it is, but he just needs to come out of the gate and pitch better, which is ironic considering... The question marks that we had about Grayson Rodriguez, once he got the call, which was, hey, this guy hasn't pitched very deep into games. How is he going to do second, third time around the lineup? He's doing fine second time around the lineup. Third time around the lineup, eh, not as much because the fifth inning of his starts has also not been great. That's where the rest of his three earned runs come from. But it's the first time around the order that's getting Grayson Rodriguez, and... The thing I want to hammer home here, though, Paul, is that I don't think there's a need to send him back down to Triple A Norfolk to get this stuff figured out. He needs to start putting hitters away in two strike counts. He needs to stop walking the leadoff batter in the first inning. Obviously needs to to figure out that early innings. The command needs to be sharper earlier on yep. because we have seen him just absolutely lose the slider in first innings yep. to the point where he just becomes a fastball change-up pitcher. Yep. I think those are all things that can and should be corrected at the big league level. You let Grayson Rodriguez work it out every
0: five days because what is he going to do in A? And he works it out over the course of each of his starts. That's right? the crazy thing is. Right. In like the second and third innings, he looks unhittable because yep. the slider is working and he's hitting his spots. I don't know if it's an adrenaline thing, if it's getting too many Red Bulls before one of his starts kind of thing. It was understandable in Texas
1: because it was his first career start. Yeah. It was understandable in his second career start because you were at Camden Yards. Camden Yards, it was your home opener. But it's not really understandable in Chicago.
0: I mean, the, I know the weather wasn't great. And but he had like, to wait around for an hour.
1: How many different things
0: are we going to use here? Right. At some point, this has to be something that he figures out. And I don't think it's something that an opener would help by any stretch. I, I think this is something he just has to work out on his own because we see when he locks in and he said as much once he gets to his tempo and he is controlling the game truly he's unhittable it's just getting him there faster and this is something I'm sure the Orioles are very aware of I'm sure Adley's very aware of making sure that he is in the right spot to start the game because he cannot be wild unlike me pitching on the mound in softball he cannot be effectively wild to start the game he has to show that kind of control out of the gate. But it is interesting because I know there was a lot of pushback from fans when he didn't make the opening day roster, something that we expected him to do. I mean, if you didn't believe that he had these issues in spring training and that these were real issues, you do now. Because we've seen it. Now we have seen it in games. And now we know why why the Orioles were a little bit hesitant in having him start the year on the big league roster. They really only had are keeping him here. The the reason he got his call up, remember, was because of Kyle Bradish's injury. The Orioles had these question marks. They had these concerns. Those were real concerns, and we're seeing them play out right now. However, if he can work his way through those at the big league level and not have to go back down to AAA Norfolk, that's ideal.
1: Yeah, as I said, I think he can work out those things at the big league level, and he should work out those things at the big league level. Ready for this take here, Paul? Oh, God. He has the best stuff of anybody in this Orioles rotation. I would maybe agree. save Kyle Bradish. Kyle Bradish, I think, and has an argument, but we just haven't seen Kyle Bradish much this year. Do you see Dean Kramer pumping 97 yesterday? I did, but Grayson Rodriguez does yeah, he, that on a consistent basis. He's got better. I know. I just he has that out there. the best stuff in the Orioles rotation right now. He's striking out close to 12 batters per nine innings. Nobody else is touching that. Cole Irvin was at just over nine, but he didn't pitch well, and he's in AAA Norfolk. And Kyle Bradish, we haven't seen be able to put up those kinds of numbers. But Kyle Gibson is striking out five batters per nine. Dean Kramer's at six and a half. Tyler Wells is at just over six. Grayson Rodriguez gives you something completely different, which is when he is at his best, a strikeout dominant pitcher yeah and the
0: orioles don't have that outside of him i mean maybe you could make a case when john means comes back that his changeup will push him over the edge john means strikeout numbers didn't touch 12 per nine no and and i don't expect grayson's 12ks per nine to stay there uh but i mean means does have very good stuff as well he just doesn't have the same power very few guys do have the same kind of power overpowering stuff that grayson has as well but we've seen stuff isn't everything we saw with D.L. Hall, who, by the way, just threw 89 pitches in his last start. He's pretty much stretched out in AAA Norfolk to starter's length, which was the big thing for him once he didn't make the opening day roster and was sent to AAA Norfolk because he started spring training late. But he's got a four-seven-six 7 ERA in three starts. He's walked seven batters in three starts, Brendan, and he struck out 15. It's the same script The D.L. Hall. Hall experience. It is high strikeout high walk numbers that we've seen from DL Hall, and these issues are cropping back up once again. Again, three starts, small sample size. But we have seen before the lack of ability to command your great stuff is something that will keep you out of the big leagues. Yep. And Grayson Rodriguez needs to continue to show that he can command the baseball, especially in the first inning a little bit better than he has.
1: Yeah, because the stuff is there. He's in the 70th percentile in whiff percentage. He is in the 81st percentile in baseball in chase rate. He has it. 78th percentile in strikeout rate. The stuff is there. If he can get out of the first inning, heck, I'll take a run from Grayson Rodriguez in the first inning. Yeah. If he can allow one earned run at this point, that would be better than his current first run, first inning ERA of 21.
0: So let's let's get out of the first inning and we'll be good from there. Yeah. Speaking of D.L. Hall, by the way, people have wondered where he is in the pecking order and when he could get his call up because we do think the Orioles are going to commit to him being a starter. We've said before we think that's the way to go when it comes to D.L. Hall. I think he's about seventh right now. He's the Orioles' seventh starter. They have their five guys right now. They have Kyle Bradish who's coming back tonight and going to take the spot of Cole Irvin in this rotation. John Means is not going to be back until July. And then I think you could probably say that Cole Irvin is their sixth guy. If somebody were to go down in that five-man rotation, they would call him back up and say, we know you had stuff you had to work on, but we need you right now. And then I think you would have D.L. Hall right behind him. I think D.L. Hall is two injuries away or two demotions away from getting his shot in the big leagues as a starter. I would agree. I think there's even a possibility that he's eighth.
1: I think there's a possibility that Spencer Watkins Spencer, yeah. could be higher on the pecking order than DL Hall. Spencer Watkins got called up over the weekend, then right back down. Yeah, Spencer Watkins got called up, A, and B, we have seen Spencer Watkins be successful as a starting pitcher, both at A Norfolk and at the big league level. We have seen DL Hall be a solid bullpen arm at the big league level, but we have yet to see him be a successful starter in the majors. And we've honestly yet to see him be a really successful starter in A Norfolk. Yeah. You mentioned that the strikeout numbers are still great. We know the stuff is there for DL Hall, but put it in the strike zone. He's got to command the pitches to warrant a promotion to the big leagues because you can't have DL Hall walking four or five batters in an outing, even if he is striking everybody out because the ERA still isn't going to be where it needs to be if you're continuing to walk guys,
0: which is exactly what we're seeing at AAA Norfolk. And you hope that no injuries occur to your starting rotation, but over the course of the season, we've said it a million times, injuries happen. The Orioles will probably need D.L. Hall services at some point during the course of this season just because of guys getting hurt or guys getting demoted because we've seen some struggles. So they're going to need him. And when he gets that call, he's going to have to perform. Because the days of D.L. Hall being viewed as you know, a, a project and he just has to work on some stuff, he's losing more and more rope every time he goes out there and he walks multiple batters in a start. Yeah, it's put up or shut up for D.L. Hall right now. Like
1: This is his age 24 season at yeah. AAA Norfolk. And given the pedigree of D.L. Hall, given the stuff that we have seen over the last few years, he should not have an ERA close to five yeah. in AAA. That's just the fact of the matter. Yeah, D.L. Hall needs to be better at AAA Norfolk.
0: But I think also when you look at this rotation as a whole, we've talked about the issues that they have right now. You can feel somewhat okay about this rotation right now. Just because Kyle Bradish coming back, I think, is going to be massive. He looked great in what? An inning and two-thirds in Texas. I know that's an inning and two-thirds, and he got hit around in Bowie a little bit near the end of his start. But I think you can expect Kyle Bradish to come back and be pretty solid. I think you can expect Grayson Rodriguez to hopefully figure out some of his first inning issues and have that ERA dip below six, like you said. He's probably going to keep getting starts. You know, Kyle Gibson has been solid, like we said. Tyler Wells has been quietly solid, three, eight, six ERA. So I don't think it's panic time by any stretch in this rotation. And with the start that Dean Kramer put up last night, yes, I know it's the Nationals, not the most offensively explosive team in baseball, But he clearly is now pitching with a fire under him. And I think you can feel okay about your starting pitching right now. I don't think this is the best version of this Orioles rotation that we'll see all season. Maybe when they get John Means back, maybe if they make a couple changes here and there. But I feel okay about this starting five right now. Yeah, I
1: do as well. I think you're going to see the ERA for Dean Kramer continue to dip down. I think it's going to get closer to around where Tyler Wells is at right now at a 386 ERA That's around my expectation for Dean Kramer this year. Kyle Gibson, right around where I thought ERA just over four. That's fine. I think Cole Irvin will come back down to earth. I think Grayson Rodriguez will figure things out. I feel good about the rotation going forward, but you can't feel great about what you've seen so far. Things need to turn around. And I still believe that they can and they will, but it needs to start happening sooner rather than later. And
0: a lot has been covered up by the offense. A lot has been covered up by this offense right now. And, Yes, they have been phenomenal, but is this an offense that can consistently be in the top five, top six in terms of runs scored Yeah, in baseball? Maybe, maybe if Gunnar Henderson starts hitting and, and Anthony Santander start hitting, but I think you're going to see some other guys perhaps regress a little bit, and it's unrealistic I think that they can be one of the best offenses in baseball. I think they'll be a good, solid offense but they've covered up quite a lot for the starting pitching so far. I think they'll probably be a
1: middle-of-the-pack pitching team and probably a middle-of-the-pack offensive team. We have seen the pitching at the very low end of the spectrum this year. The offense at the very high end of the
0: spectrum, I think they're going to meet somewhere in the middle. Let's talk about the farm system, Brendan. Yeah. And what's been going down in Bowie, in Aberdeen, in Norfolk – Something that we expected to be a storyline throughout the season was those infield prospects and when they were going to get called up. And we mentioned Joey Ortiz getting awfully close to getting a call up, pulled out of the Norfolk's lineup after Ramon Urias was uh, hit in the head by that pitch and ended up going into the concussion protocol. He is out of the concussion protocol. Awesome news for Ramon Urias. Yeah. The Orioles, again, knock on wood, have been relatively healthy position player wise. Pretty healthy, I think you could say. I think... That Ramon Reyes incident, though, showed just how close Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby are to the big leagues. Yeah, I would have to guess that if
1: Jordan Westberg isn't out with a back injury, that he's probably the one pulled from the
0: lineup rather think than he Joey Ortiz. He's healthy again, by the way. Right. He, he missed several games with that back issue. But
1: still super encouraging that the Orioles feel good enough about those two guys to the point where they
0: could pull them from a lineup just in case they need somebody at the big league level. Yeah. So, they've been doing good stuff as yes. well down in Triple-A Norfolk right now. Cesar or sorry, uh Connor Norby hitting 316 with an OPS close to 800. Joey Ortiz hitting 364 with an 817 OPS. Even Colton Cowser who has probably a slimmer chance of getting called up, probably take a couple injuries because Kyle Stowers right now is Probably your next man up in that outfield. Kowser had four hits last night. Yep. Hitting 293. Hit his first home run of the season last night. He's Finger. starting to turn turn some
1: heads as well. Yeah, I think Colton Kowser realistically is probably still a summer call-up at some point. But nice to see him playing well early on.
0: How about our boy Hudson
1: Haskin? Hudson Haskin. <laughs> we were all wondering last year. All wondering. Why hasn't Hudson Haskin been promoted? Only and by you and all I. all wondering, I mean... Sickos like me and Paul Mangano who paid too close
0: attention to the Orioles' farm system. If you bought stock in Hudson-Haskin, which you probably didn't, but maybe you did, we did, it's paying off. Hitting 391. The stonks are off the charts. 1.152 OPS for our guy. Vindication, I might say. Former second round pick Hudson-Haskin.
1: Yeah. Out of Tulane? Out of Tulane. Weird swing, Hudson-Haskin, if you haven't watched Hudson-Haskin.
0: You just wonder... You know, how good does the production have to be for him to leapfrog some other guys? How many injuries have to occur for him to leapfrog Colton Cowser or Kyle Stowers or even Heston Kerstad, well, look, who's a level below him?
1: If last year is any indication, Hudson Haskin will continue to hit 390 and he will be
0: a AAA Norfolk for the entire year. Yeah. I mean, he, he is a much better prospect, I think you could say, than like a Robert Neustrom, who at this point oh, last absolutely. year... There were some fans that were calling for Robert Newstrom to
1: get called up. Yeah, and Haskin, again, is a former second-round pick. I think that's a pretty good indication of how the organization feels about him. He's playing really, really well. I mean, we haven't seen a ton of guys come up from AAA without the super-high pedigree and leapfrog some others. He reminds me a little bit of Orion McKenna. Where McKenna just played so well at AAA that McKenna at the time leapfrogged Yusniel Diaz yeah. to make the big league roster. Man, a lot of throwback names today. Yeah. McKenna was able to leapfrog some other guys, even though he wasn't a top 10 prospect in the Orioles system, still did some really solid things on the baseball field. And that's what we've seen at the big league level so far. So if Hudson Haskin can hit decently well, play some solid defense. Don't know if he's ever going to be a high-impact starter at the big league level, but I can see Hudson Haskin being a pretty solid rotational
0: piece. He doesn't have the speed that McKenna did. Right. A couple years ago, though, by the way, in 2021, he did steal 22 bases, but last year he only stole five, which is kind of surprising. And this year he's stolen four so far. So he doesn't have that element to his game that Ryan McKenna did, which is what makes McKenna more attractive. Do you see that their MLB is trying in the Atlantic League to do this – Designated runner, pinch runner thing? Yeah, it's a whole thing that's complicated and we're gonna be talking gonna about gonna it in like six months because uh, it's probably gonna get implemented, I guess. But who yeah. knows? Um yeah, it's it's complicated. It's like a designated pinch runner that they can only use in that spot. I don't fully understand it. Would be interesting. I don't know. Makes no sense. Orioles have plenty of good runners, as is. Yeah. I think they're okay between Mateo, Mullins, and McKenna. Down to double A, Brendan, real quick. Yeah. Chase McDermott has been awesome to start the year. Remember they got him at the trade deadline last year from Houston, 13 and a third scoreless innings to start the year. He did give up, was charged with some runs, I think, after he left yesterday's game, last night's game. But one of those guys we talked about on previous podcasts, Chase McDermott, Cade Povich, Seth Johnson. Those are the three pitchers that the Orioles will have to get probably one starter out of, one big league starter out of, in order for those trades to be considered a
1: success. And with the progression that we have seen from McDermott and the off-season hype around Cade Povich, could have too. I mean, we had a podcast a few weeks ago. Could Mike Elias trade for pitchers, evaluating some of his trades? The answer? Maybe. Maybe. Looks
0: pretty good so far. How about Heston Kerstad? Now, last night he went 0-4. Yeah lowered his OPS to really an embarrassing 1.109. That's terrible. Awful. Yeah. What's this guy doing? He's been hitting the cover off the ball to start the year. Somebody who played, what, 65 games in high A and didn't put up incredible numbers. Again, it, it's a pitcher's park in Aberdeen. It sure is, yeah. Um, but hit the cover off the ball in the Arizona Fall League and is now absolute, was mashing in spring training mm-hmm. and is now mashing in A Bowie. It's just so cool. I, I know it's, we keep saying
1: it about Heston Kerstad. It's like, wow, look at him. And I don't want to treat Heston Kerstad like some... As a special case. Right, yeah. as a special case, because he is a former number two overall pick. This pedigree was always there, but it is
0: incredible that he is playing at this level. And you can see the added bulk that he has yeah. worked on over the past it's couple of years. Big dude. And I think that is huge for him literally and physically and metaphorically because it adds so much to his power, which is going to be his calling card. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, the Orioles will probably need in a year or two. Yeah. With Anthony Santander hitting free agency in a year and a half. I mean,
1: Heston Kerstad is the type of player that if he continues to progress at this rate, could be a left-handed power hitting right fielder who hits 30 home runs in a left-handed friendly Camden Yards. Right. We could be seeing from this window a lot of Heston Kerstad home runs on the flight court. We could be catching some of these. We could. Maybe
0: I mean, I don't know if he's going to hit the fifth floor of the warehouse, but maybe. <laughs> that would be absolutely insane. Give him a metal bat. I don't know. Yeah. How how far could they hit? How, how many stories up could somebody hit BP if they were given a metal bat? Probably pretty high yeah. up. Second level? That'd be crazy. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Should we try it?
1: <laughs> yeah. You and I could give it Adley as oh, two you and right-handed, right-handed okay. hitters. Yeah. yeah,
0: perfect. Yeah, uh, nobody's meant to play at Camden Yards more than you and I, no. uh, as evidenced by our five errors in our last softball game. We will have another softball update next yeah. week. Don't worry. At Brendan Morty, is his Twitter Wait, handle. Wait, Paul,
1: one more guy I want to shout out. Oh, please shout! out. I got one more guy I want to shout please. out. Please. We've talked about the starting pitching a lot. We have on this podcast. A couple of guys at AAA Norfolk. One guy that we haven't talked about yet. Your guy, Drew Rom. He's been unbelievable so far. He has been great. He was player of the week, I think. 169 ERA through his first three starts. He's got, got a whip it. below one. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to leapfrog D.L. Hall or Spencer Watkins or anything like that. He's still only in his age 23 season. But if Drew Rom continues to put up some really good numbers at AAA Norfolk...
0: Could be knocking on the door. Yeah. And it's something that we've said before that a lot of pitching prospects, and this is the nature of the beast in any organization, but especially in the Orioles recently, some pitching prospects have gotten to the AAA level and that's where they've hit their massive speed bump. Yeah. We've seen it with Alexander Wells and Zach Lowther and those guys. So for Drew Rahm, who is not going to have overpowering stuff, is going to be a crafty lefty of sorts for him to be able to pitch well in Norfolk is gonna be a massive indicator of whether he is able to make that jump, obviously. But that's for every player. Yeah, kind of almost a similar pitcher to Cole Irvin,
1: who now yeah. joins him in, in AAA. Maybe he could learn a few things.
0: And yeah. Drew Rahm is kind of a sponge. He does pick up quite a lot from, I remember a couple of years ago, he tra- talked to John Means, when Means was on a rehab yeah. assignment, uh, about what he could learn about being a crafty lefty. of The source. patented John Means changeup. Exactly, I think that's where he learned it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, exciting stuff. Also, one more guy. I actually, I'm, I'm going to go back. No, Whoa. Brandon. Cesar Prieto. Yeah. Because I did say his name accidentally when I was trying to talk about Connor North Got ahead of yourself, and then you got... And then I forgot about behind? it. Sure. So? 349 average with an 866 OPS for Bowie. Somebody who got a little bit uh, pushed beyond his limits last year. Yep. A little bit exhausted by the end of the year. It was the longest season he'd ever played in by far last year, and you could see the effects of that fatigue at the end of the year. Now he is hitting about what the Orioles expected to have him in buoy. And the thing is, there's so much, so much of a log jam in Norfolk in that infield between Westberg and Norby and Ortiz doesn't really have anywhere to go.
1: Yeah. And Prieto, you know, don't want to lose him in the shuffle. He's still a very exciting prospect. One of the better four contact hitters to come out of Cuba in a really, really long time. But as you mentioned, the seasons, there are much shorter. He w- wore down a little bit towards the end of the year. So exciting to see this right now from Cesar Prieto I think the biggest measuring stick for him is going to be when we get to the summer months yeah what is he still doing over the summer is he still putting up solid numbers I think that's going to be the biggest
0: question Brian on YouTube saying a tennis ball maybe could hit the warehouse I don't know if it's got the weight to it yeah like a tennis ball would get caught in the wind like yeah I think it would it would jump off the bat certainly but then once it gets to a certain distance it might die I also would worry about if you give a you know, Adley Rochman, a wooden bat and a tennis ball. He might just break that thing. I mean, that, that thing might just, Oh yeah, probably cut, it, cut open. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know how physics work. No, or tennis balls. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, uh, at Paul Mancano is my Twitter handle. At Brandon Morty is his. Thanks so much to Matt Bonaparte for running this podcast as our producer. Of course you can catch the podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can also watch it on Facebook and on the Mastin app and MastinSports.com each and every week. And we will be back next week with another key softball update.